Well, good morning, Grace. Wonderful to be with you this morning. If you're wondering if I have a cold, I don't. This is sawdust up my nose <clears throat> from doing some woodworking yesterday. And, uh, but I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue in our series on strongholds. I pray that the Lord has been uh, moving in your life and that you've been counting on his faithfulness, uh, for he longs to change you from the inside out. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. And Jesus, we praise you that your name is wonderful, that you are the wonderful counselor, everlasting father. We come before you now and we ask that you would teach us as only you can teach us, that you would speak not just to our minds but to our hearts, Lord, like you do, the way in which you do. You change us by filling us with your presence and your Holy Ghost and you release us from the chains that bind us. So, Father, we bring before you now these stronghold thinking. And we ask, Lord, that you would break that, you would demolish it in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you are a faithful God and that your mercies are new every morning. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. So if you've been with us, oh, by the way, if you don't have a booklet and you like one, I think we're in short supply, but trees in the room or one of the, we have some? Okay, so raise your hand. And if you don't have one of these booklets, um, someone on the Usher team would be more than glad to get you one. Looks like we're doing well, not too many after the fourth or fifth week here. That's good. So today, we're going to be primarily um, in the word walk, and uh, if you look in your binder, you'll know that that's on page 24. So where we've been is that we've established this um, truth that whenever we have an established pattern of thinking that runs contrary to who God is and his truth for our lives, that's called a stronghold. Um, 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Um, we stand up against every argument and pretension that stands up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. So the whole idea here is that every single one of us has established patterns of thinking that run contrary to who God is and to the truth that he has for us. And we've been trusting God now to reveal to us the way in which we need to participate with him to break down these strongholds. You see, in the scriptures, Jesus is always performing miracles. God is always performing miracles. If you read the book with the Spirit, you'll see that God is doing amazing things, but there's always something for us to do. Um, think about Lazarus. This is a story... You know, Lazarus, how many people have read that story? Jesus raising Lazarus. Do you remember that? So Jesus is there when Lazarus dies. Martha and Mary, they're, they're overcome with grief. Everybody's overcome with grief. And they've, they've buried the guy in the tomb already. Jesus posts on the scene, and what does he say? Uh, roll the stone away. And you know what they say? No, it stinks too much. Now think about that in your life. Jesus comes to you and he says, I want you to stand at the crossroads with me and I want you to look. God, I don't want to look. Why? It stinks too much. Trust me. Roll the stone away. So they roll the stone away and then what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. That's the Lord. Only the Lord can raise the dead. Amen? That's his power at work. You see, it's his guidance in us that kind of moves us to a place where we stand and we look and then we ask. 
But then he actually performs this miracle of raising Lazarus. And then what does he say to the folks? He says, take off his grave clothes. There's always something for us to do. But when God moves in our lives, it's an act of his grace and his power. It's not something that we can do. Child of God, you cannot demolish your own strongholds. Only God can do that for you. The question is, will you partner and participate with him? For there is a means of receiving his grace. To hold out your hands and say, God, have your way in me. Can you say that with me? God, have your way in me. So we've looked at Jeremiah 6.16 as our little roadmap. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So how many of you would like more rest for your souls? How many of you want to walk through terrifying things to get there? Very few. We're going to talk about that today. I've been blessed to be part of this expression of God's kingdom from the beginning. And I got to tell you, I'm honored to be part of the team that serves here, week in, week out. Many of you serve in this place, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place for God. It's not perfect, that's for sure. I always tell people that come here, you're new. If you're new here and we haven't disappointed you yet, hang out a little while. We definitely will. The question is, what will you do with that once we do? Because there's no such thing as a perfect expression of God's kingdom right now. One day we're going to stand with God in perfection, and that's going to be amazing. But he's blessed us here for many years, and I'll tell you how he's blessed us. Not with growth, not numerical growth, not with buildings, not with bucks. It's not about nickels and navels. Have you ever heard like church people talk? Nickels and navels, that's like the bucks and the bodies. People are looking at me like, what are you talking about? A lot of people in the world measure success in the number of people that participate in the amount of money they raise and the buildings they have, right? Um, A lot of people say it differently. But that's not the way kingdom success is measured. Can I tell you how kingdom success is measured? Changed lives. Changed lives. If you are in Christ Jesus, your life has been changed, and he longs to write a new story in you. But Jeff, I already have a story. Well, that's a great one. I I love that you already have a story. But you know that God wants to write a new story in you every day, every moment, because he is the great game changer. He is the life changer. Amen? So he's told me as I've listened to him, because I met with him just this morning, we talked, you know, and we're talking even now, but he said, Jeff, I just want you to keep doing what you're doing as long as people's lives are being changed. So I have the honor of often hearing stories of life change, um, and I have the honor this morning of introducing you to a story um, that I just heard this past week. Jeff Barshinger, who is a member of our worship team, um, was able to tell me his story, and as a result of that, I asked him if he'd be willing to share it with you, and he graciously agreed. Would you please give a warm welcome to Jeff Barshinger as he comes? Love you, bro. Thank you, brother. Godspeed. Good morning, family. During worship, I just felt the Holy Spirit's prompting to, to share just a little bit more than what I have written. 
because I need to stick to what I have written, or I could we could be here for a long time. Uh, most of my life up into my early 20s, I just had a lot of really strong blows to the heart. Uh, some things I don't have in the story that the Holy Spirit just kept telling me I need to share. They need to hear. I didn't want to share that, but I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, I had a violent alcoholic father and who, who at times as children threatened to kill us. You know, there were times where uh, we'd be woken up in the middle of the night just trembling in fear. And between the fourth and fifth grade, and or sometime going into sixth grade, we actually found five bullets with names on them. Mine was one of them. So I had a lot of strongholds. Uh, and then right after high school, I had married my high school sweetheart. And right off the bat, she had cheated on me. Years later, I found out that not only did she cheat on me, but it was with one of my brothers. So I had a lot to deal with, a lot of emotional pain. I'm reminded of a, a scripture that really stood out to me when I met my beautiful wife. She shared with me. She said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I had a sick heart for a long time. But then I learned the second half of that. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Christ is that tree of life. He's the one that's given me hope. He's the one that gave me healing. During week one of this series, a lifelong stronghold was destroyed. God set me free from emotional numbness. In my elementary years, I suppressed my feelings and emotions in order to survive and to protect myself from the pain around me. I had a violently abusive alcoholic father whose behavior would cause me to shake uncontrollably from fear. I was neglected by both of my parents and sexually abused by a friend of my father and many other episodes of trauma. The most difficult issue I had to deal with was when my dad threw me in the corner when I was in first grade. He poked me hard in the chest and told me that I was no longer his son and that he disowned me. His words, sorry, he stood by his words and those words haunted me for 42 years. I failed first grade, which reinforced that I was worthless, stupid, a loser, unwanted, and a mistake. This caused me to put up walls as a method of self-preservation, a very thick barrier to my feelings. This created a stronghold around my emotions and distorted my image of God. It was the it was as if the wires in my brain had gotten crossed. I believed I could never trust anyone, including God. Most of my life, I felt alone, and Satan reminded me daily that I was alone, that no one wanted me, and that my feelings weren't valid. All my life, I went through repeated cycles of passiveness, negativity, and a woe-is-me attitude. About two years ago, this led to a time of depression I couldn't seem to pull out of. I knew I needed a change. My beautiful wife, who I've learned to trust, suggested I go through the 12 steps. This suggestion placed me at a crossroads. I could imagine, I'm sorry, I couldn't continue this easy 
lifeless past. I could continue this easy, lifeless past or take a new road. After hearing a little bit about it, I had a small glimmer of hope and decided to walk. I asked God to do whatever it takes and was willing to let the Holy Spirit guide me. Through prayer, I was matched up with a sponsor from Life Recovery and was able to complete the 12-step this past December. At the beginning of this journey, it was like walking on an invisible path. Though I couldn't see where I was walking, I chose to trust him and take a step anyway. Each time I stepped forward, God provided the foundation needed under my foot. When God set me free from emotional numbness, I began to feel emotions I'd never felt. I teared up in areas that I had never teared up before. The day before the Stronghold series started, we had to put our dog down. I not only cried, I bawled, and felt this new compassion for the first time. This was significant because prior to this, death of loved ones or losing previous pets never brought me to tears. I didn't know the extent of the healing until Jeff began God's message on strongholds on the 27th. I cried through the whole service. He shared scriptures like Ephesians 3, 17, 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that a stronghold was broken that day. My life had, has been forever changed. God poured out his love on me. He breathed new life into my being and resurrected my emotions. Not only did he resurrect them, but he let me feel them to the core. My wife, when my wife and I were driving home from church that day, I told her, my head doesn't feel right. She asked if it was a headache. I said, no, it wasn't pain. It was different. It was like God had literally rewired my brain. I feel like I have more motivation now, more of a drive to get things done, whereas before I lacked desire to do stuff and struggled with passiveness. Every day since that stronghold was broken, I feel closer to God. I hear his voice more often, and I want to spend more time with him. In this new freedom, I feel the Holy Spirit with me. Like we're walking together, and he's helping me connect and feel more for those around me. I'm also more intimate with my wife. I feel closer to her than ever before, more than I've ever thought, thought possible. I'm learning to express my feelings with her. I'd never really known how to do that before. I feel compassion for her, gratitude for her, and my selfish feelings are leaving. When we talk now, it's deeper and more meaningful. I've learned that walking with Jesus has been the only way to true healing. He wants to heal us. We just need to ask and we need to walk. I know he's not finished with me yet and I'm actually looking forward to the next crossroads. Jeff just said, put your head, hand up. I think I might have been the only one. <laughs> uh, I am forever grateful for the healing that Jesus provided. I have a new trust with him. Psalm 40, 
one and two sums it up. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And he can do the same for you. Thank you, brother. Love you. Jeff, thank you so much for your willingness to bear witness to the power of Christ in you. And uh, I think it was uh, beautiful to hear you tell your story and to look at your precious wife and see her tears. Thank you, Michelle, for all that you bring to the kingdom of God. Really grateful to walk alongside of you both. Well, God is always in the business of ambushing us and uh, with his grace, and he has a way of breaking down these strongholds, often in unexpected ways. And what I've said before is that often if you experience this gift of holy tears coming to you, you know you're standing at the precipice of a stronghold being broken down. But many of us have great resistance to this. Now, the beautiful news is we're not alone. You're the, the Bible is filled with stories of people just like you and me and Jeff and Michelle. We're broken, we're beat up, we're sinful and yet, these people have encountered God, and as a result of his encounter with them, they have never been the same. That was part of Jeff's testimony. He'll never be the same. Can I tell you something? The encounters that I've had with God have left me changed forever. And by his grace, once God does something, he doesn't go back on it. Amen? So one such person in the Bible is the person of Moses, and Moses was a great man of God. Most of you know he was just like you and me, broken, sinful, fearful, and even rebellious towards God at times. His life was a great testimony to God's faithfulness, and he served, this life served as a model and pointed to the Messiah who was yet to come, who would deliver his people from their slavery to sin. If you've never looked at Egypt that way, never looked at Moses that way, go back and read Exodus and understand that Moses is a Christ figure. He's pointing to the Messiah to come. And we are those in slavery in Egypt. And he is, Jesus is the one who delivers us from Pharaoh, who is Satan himself. Moses was born at a time when Israel was in slavery to Egypt under Pharaoh, and all the baby boys that were born were to be thrown into the Nile River. So Moses' mom hides him as long as she can, and then she makes a boat out of papyrus, and she sends him literally up the river, up the Nile River. And uh, he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and he ends up getting adopted into Pharaoh's family and raised as a prince of Egypt, a prince of this world. Only he's not. He belongs to God, and he belongs to God's people. And God knew this, that he was going to plant his son Moses in this place and raise him up in a particular way to be used as a deliverer of God's people. So fast forward, Moses is a young man. He sees a fellow Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian guard, and in a fit of rage, he kills the guard and buries the guard in the sand. And he's found out, so what does he do? He flees to Midian because he's afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him. And Pharaoh does seek to kill him. But God has other plans. If you are in Christ Jesus, anything comes to you, it's being allowed by God. 
So you understand what's going on here. God had a plan. He's using all of these circumstances in Moses' life to fulfill that plan. So Moses goes out to Midian. He's wandering around the desert. He runs into some hot chicks. He saves them from some shepherd. You can read it. It's right there. This is my paraphrase. You know, um, one of the chicks, they go back and they tell their dad, yeah, this dude was there. He saved us from the shepherds. He's like, man, bring him back to some sup for us, man. Like, we're going to have some grub with this dude. And so they bring him back to have dinner with him. And, you know, so Jethro likes him. He likes him a lot. And he goes, I'm going to give you my daughter, which is a great sign of like. And so he gives him Zipporah. And uh, Moses is married to Zipporah. And he's tending his father-in-law's sheep one day. And you know what happens, right? He, he's, he catches something out of his eye. It's a burning bush. And he goes over to it. Now listen. Whole another lesson. But if God causes your eye to be caught by something he's doing, walk toward it. Don't walk away from it. I, I lay you 10 to 1. You are walking past burning bushes every day. And God longs for you to go over to it and to hear him speak. So Moses goes over to the bush. And you know the story. Read it. It's right there in Exodus. It's incredible. It's incredible. He's a guy just like you and me. And yet God speaks to him and says, Moses. You will be the deliverer of my people. And Moses goes, say what? <laughs> Me? I don't talk too good. That's my paraphrase again. He doesn't really say it that way. But God challenges Moses. He says to Moses, who was it that created your mouth? Boy, that's always a leveler, isn't it? But you know what else he says? He says some of the most important words ever spoken in the scripture. He says, Moses, I will go with you. You got to understand, these are the most important words in the scripture. Moses, I will go with you. Jeff, I'll go with you. Fill your name. I want you to say that out loud with me right now. And I want you to put your name in the slot. It's going to sound like chaos, but you're going to hear it. I'm going to say it this way. Jeff, I will go with you. Ready? You see, you got to hear God say that straight to your heart. Because where you're going, you got to know that God's with you. you got to know that. Because if you don't, you give up. And so Moses hears God say, I'll go with you. So what does Moses do? Packs up the wife, the kids, he's got some boys, takes Aaron with him, and he goes off. And you know the whole thing, right? You can read in Exodus, he's rocking it out with God, plagues, all kinds of cool stuff. Pharaoh finally lets his people go. The plan was to ambush him from behind. God parts the Red Sea, closes it back down again. God's provision in the desert, which is manna and quail. Then you got Moses on Sinai, you got the Ten Commandments, you got all this incredible stuff going on. And God is having a conversation with Moses in Exodus 33. It's a conversation, and I want to listen in with you together. So let's go ahead and look at that scripture together in Exodus 33. And then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now what he's saying is, walk. Look, look you've, you've stood with me. You've looked with me. You've asked me, Moses. Now get up and go. Walk. Do it. I, look, I'm going to send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, whatever those are, the Hivites and the Jezebites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now listen to this. 
but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped. They stood and they worshiped, each at the entrance of their tent. Listen. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You can understand in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the only one that was really allowed to have that happen was the priest. See, the priest communicated with God for the people, and then the priest would kind of intercede for the people. Along comes Jesus Christ, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he dies for you. The temple curtain is, torn, curtain is torn in two, and you know what now? You no longer need a priest on earth. You have a priest in heaven. And you can talk to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. That is good news. In Christ Jesus, he made a way for us. So listen to this conversation between two friends. One of them God, and one of them a broken, sinful, godly person. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Whole other message. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, would you please tell me what to do? Again, my paraphrase, so I may know and continue to find favor with you, because God, can I remind you that this nation is your people? Now look, do you think God ever needs to be reminded of anything? I don't know about you, but often I pray and I listen to other people pray and we're just like spending these countless just ramblings reminding God of stuff he needs to know. God, please don't forget, please don't. He's like, dude, I'm God. Like I know this stuff. And yet I hear in Moses this anxious heart and he's trying to go to God saying, God, these are your people. Would you please, please, please teach me your way? And let me remind you again, these are your people. This is your nation. Now listen to what the Lord says. Most important words in the scripture. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? So God is saying here, look, Moses my presence will go with you as you walk through your fear. And I, I will give you rest. I'm going to say that again a couple times just so we can let it soak in. Moses, my presence will go with you as you walk through your fear. And I will give you rest. 
you got to understand, there's something that God is saying to us here that we need to know. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from this place. Like, God just told him, dude, I'm going with you. And then Moses comes, hey, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? How will people go unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the people of the face of the earth? Again, Moses is arguing with God saying, dude, you better do what you said you were going to do. And God is so patient. The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you. And Moses, I know you by name. God knows you by name. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Oh, wait a second. Sorry, I skipped the most another really important line. I know my name. And then Moses gets really brazen. He, he kind of, you know, he badgers God which is not a great manipulation technique. You know, when you try and manipulate God, like, he's going to be God. He's badgering God, but God says, look, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm God and I love you. And then, but Moses, now after he says, I'll do this, Moses gets really brazen. He goes, okay, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I compassion, because I'm God, by the way. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Now there's incredible rich theology in what God just said to Moses. But I want to point out a couple things. First of all, God's direction to Moses was incredibly specific. And God speaks to you very specifically. Now, let me see. He's, he's telling me cleft in a rock. Like, put in a cleft of a rock. Is there anything wrong with not standing in the cleft of a rock? No, there's nothing wrong in it with it. It's just that God is saying specifically, this is what you need to do. You see, we need to get past right and wrong. Obviously, we need to measure everything against the scripture. But it's not just about you choosing the best things in your life. It's about you listening to God specifically about what he wants for you to do. How you need to walk in him. Well, Jeff, I'm walking pretty good right now. That's not the question. The question is, what is God specifically telling you to do? Can I tell you what happens when you hear a word from the Lord that is going to set you free? You panic. We'll get there in a few minutes. Whenever you follow God, you see his back because he's leading you. Do you understand? You'll behold his glory if you follow him but you will never behold his glory if you try and get ahead of him. You see, God wants to lead you, and in doing so, you will see his back and you will behold his glory. But you try and go face to face with God and stand off against him and say, God, I'm going that way. God says, no, you turn around, boy, you're going this way. My way, my way, because I'm God, you are not. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But realize, whenever you follow God, just like Moses did, and you're obedient to him. Now, Moses wasn't perfectly obedient. If you continue to read the story, you know that he actually was disobedient. And that came at a cost. 
but God entrusted his kingdom work to Moses because he loved Moses. Moses didn't do it perfectly. But when he followed God, he saw God's back. So look, I'm going to give you three points today, and I want you to think through these with me. The first one is walk with love. Say that after me. Walk with love. Now look, to walk with God, you have to know his ways. You have to know God. And if you know God, you've got to know God is love. And to know love, you must know him. How do you know him? Three things. His spirit, his word, his people. And I'm going to add a fourth one, his creation. His spirit, his word, his people, and his creation. For God says that everything he's made, right, testifies to who he is so that men are without excuse. So look, his spirit, his spirit indwells you and reveals his word to you and reveals his way to you. If you are not in Christ Jesus, if you have not accepted Christ Jesus into your life, you do not have the Holy Spirit in you. Now look, you may be hearing from the Holy Spirit because God is the hound of heaven and he chases after you. And he loves you, and he's singing over you, and he's calling you to himself. But if you have not received him into your life, you are not indwelled with the Holy Ghost. And when you receive him into your life, when that incredible supernatural transaction happens where you are saved, when you come to salvation only by the grace of God through faith, then what happens is God gives you his Holy Ghost, and his Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the Spirit prompts you and illuminates things for you. I tell you something, I tried to read the scriptures throughout middle school, high school. I tried and I went, what the heck is this stuff? Anybody ever with me in that? Some of you may be in that place right now. That may not mean you don't have the Holy Spirit, but it may. But, but what, it, what it meant for me was I didn't really know. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. And then through a series of broken-backed experiences, I got low enough to look out, and I cried up to God, and I actually received Christ into my heart. And within days, I opened the, the Bible, the Word of God, and I went, why is this making sense to me now? What, what's going on? You know why? Because I had the Holy Ghost. Now, i got to be honest with you. I did not like some of the things that God was saying. They scared me. One of the first lines I opened up to, I was in a difficult place in my life and I swung the Bible open and I did a little finger poke mechanism, which I don't recommend, but you know what the Holy Ghost does it? I was in a tough place. I had just committed a sin in my life and I did the poke finger thing and it goes, confess your sins to each other and pray that you might be healed. And I said, is there anybody else up there that I can talk to? (laughs) As a new believer... What? Even as an old believer. But see, God speaks to you through his spirit. Now, his spirit illuminates his word, and his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. So if you're going to walk with God, you need to be in the word of God. You have to be. God's word is a sword dividing joint and marrow, revealing even the motives of your heart. And his word is a love letter to you and me. It's a a manual to show you how to walk in this world. He tells you things like, forgive as I forgave, love as I loved. Put off all falsehood and speak honestly to one another since you're all still members of one body. Right? He He says these beautiful things and these hard things to us, and we need to be in his word. You cannot walk with God unless you're in his word with him, in the spirit. 
And remember, if you're in his word without the spirit, you are dangerous indeed. There are a lot of religious people that are in that place. Jesus spoke to them, the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you scour the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, for if you would come to me, I would give you life. He says, as it is, though, you belong to your father, Satan. If you really want to tick off a religious person, you tell them that their daddy is Satan. And that's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus, he's God. He was being honest. Their daddy was Satan. So just because somebody yields the word and they start spewing it forth, ask yourself the question in the spirit, God, help me to test the spirit. Because you know what? Satan himself knows scripture. Demons themselves know scripture. But they don't know Jesus. They knew who he is, but they don't have a relationship with him. And see, we got to understand something. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Only when the Holy Spirit illuminates the word. So we have to invite the spirit, reveal to me, reveal to me, and then open the word of God and allow God through prayer and the word to reveal his truth and his way and his will to us. And then finally, his people. Look, I, I meet solitary Christians relatively frequently. And they'll say things to me, you know, in, in quiet, in, in a time of counsel. They'll say, well, all I need is God, really. I'm like, well... I understand what you're saying, and, and that makes some sense, but here's the thing. He said there was only one thing that wasn't good. When he created everything, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he said, one thing was not good. What was that one thing? It's not good for us to be alone. That's not a marriage verse. That's a commentary on the solitary state of a human soul. God creates people to live in community with himself and with each other. And by the way, this is where all the warts come out. This is where those struggles come out. I'll never get back into one of those small groups again. I was burnt before. Never hang out with them Christian people. I was burnt before. You know what you got there? A stronghold. And that stronghold is being used by the enemy to rob you of the joy that it is to be in the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and the people of God. I can tell you how God's used people in my life in such powerful ways. It's been incredible. We have to receive his love through his provision to us, and we take steps of radical obedience to know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, his promise is good. In reply, Lord, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. This is the same thing that Jesus is saying to us right here in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Please read it out, live with me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is love. God will never leave you, never forsake you, and he wants to walk with you. And when you go in his way, he's right there with you. You must know this, for surely you will turn back if you do not. You see, we got to trust God to not only take our hand and walk with us as he is love, but we got to walk with love through our fear. Can you say that after me with me? Walk with love through our fear. You see, um, we've talked about fear being a great indicator. There's some stronghold thinking going on. But you have to understand something. God is the great fear buster. He is the one who makes you confident beyond your understanding. He gives you peace that surpasses knowledge. He, it's amazing what he does for you. How many of you would like to be more confident? How many of you would like to have more peace? 
Okay, so here's the deal. The problem is we don't want to do what it takes. Because what happens when he breaks up our fear is it comes to us by grace through faith. We need to take God's hand, the hand of love, and we need to walk straight into the middle of our fears. Now, if you just felt afraid when I said that, you're in a good place because you're facing your flesh. You're facing your stronghold thinking. Stronghold thinking, remember, has to do with your self-protection. Stronghold thinking has to do with your self-defensiveness. It has to do with your strategy. It's been wrapped around your right shaft as a result of your woundedness, and you've wrapped these layers of self-defensive, self-protective, self-justifying strategies around you, and God says, I'm going to bust that stuff up. Now, what happens when he's ready to bust it up is you go, nope, wrong God. I think I'm just going to do this on my own, God. Like, so we, no, 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 no. God says, no, take my hand by my grace and through your faith. We will overcome your fears together and we will break down these strongholds. What does fear do to us if we don't walk through it with him? What does fear do to us if we do not walk through it with him, we become stiff-necked. Now, I want you to understand what stiff-necked meant. You just heard it in the scripture in Exodus 33. God says, you, you are stiff-necked people. If you ever tried to lead a horse, how many ever led a horse or a donkey worse yet or any kind of farm animal? How many, just show of hands. How many of you ever tried to lead one? Yeah. Now, if that animal is stiff-necked, you know what it does? It stiffens its neck and pulls. Stiffens his neck and pulls. And my, my daughter has a horse. It's a 1,200-pound animal. I am a 180-pound human being. I do not stand a chance against this beast. It could crush me. Now, I don't say that around her. Her name is Ruby. But I'm trying to pull on that horse, and that horse will be stiff neck. It's just going to pull back, pull back, pull back. This happens to be a burrow. It has another name. It's called a jackass. It probably fits. I can say that in church because that's the name of the donkey. I can say that. But look, here's another example of stiff-neckedness. That's a goat. Are you stiff-necked? Why do we get stiff-necked? Let me tell you why. Because we don't want to leave where we are. An animal can be in the most gruesome gruesome place where there's no feeding ground whatsoever and the farmer wants to lead the animal to greener pastures but that animal is afraid to leave what they know even though the grass is barely edible here's the truth why because ultimately they don't trust the farmer has their best interest at heart but the good shepherd the good farmer he always has your best interest at heart. The question is, are you stiff-necked? Can I talk to you as a stiff-necked son of God? God has a thousand ways to humble me. And he'll tell me things like, Jeff, I want you to go do that. And it'll be clear in his word, clear in his spirit, and I validate it with people. And I'm like, I don't want to go, God. Hey, let's stay busy. Let's do something else. Come on, God, let's go have fun together. He's like, no, follow me, see my back, know my glory, walk after me. Now, God, let's go play some Parcheesi or something, like backgammon, come on, please. 
It's fun. It's a godly thing. doesn't matter if it's a godly thing. What matters is what I want you to do. That's the most godly thing. Follow me. See my back. Know my glory. Follow me. See my back. Know my glory. Jeff, walk with me through your fear. See, we don't want to do that. So, so this is what ends up happening to us. We get dragged. How many of you have had God do that to you? Can I give you a better option? He loves you. He's going he's to drag your rear end in there. He's going to do it. The question is, do you want it to take 15 years of misery? Or do you want to trust him today? Well, I know, I know I should have forgiven my mom a long time ago, but she's this and she's that. Do it today. Why? Because the Word of God tells you to do it, and the Spirit of God is prompting you to do it right now. Well, I, I should have reconciled that relationship a long time ago. I should, have, I should be paying back my credit cards. I mean, do it today. Jeff, if I had the money. No, 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 no. It's a process. Start today. You yield yourself to God and you follow him. You will see his back and ultimately you will know his glory. But can I tell you something? Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. I'm going to tell you a gross story. Anybody hear a gross story? Close your ear if you're not open to a gross story. I had a cyst on the back of my neck once. It was the size of a baseball. This is gross. Hang on. I was in Florida. Went into the doctor. I'm like, this thing is killing me. He's like, I got to open it up. I'm like, I'm going to go see somebody else. He goes, I got to open it up, dude. You're not going to get any relief at all. Now, when he opened that thing up, it was like rolling away the stone. And that's all I'll tell you. But can I tell you something? It was nasty for about an hour and a half, and then I got better. That may be nasty for you for a day and a half. It may be nasty for you for a week and a half. It may be nasty for you a month and a half. It may be nasty for you for a year, two years, five years, ten years. I don't know, but I know this. If you're following God, he will show you his glory. He will show you his glory in changing your life and breaking down your strongholds. But you have to take his hand, the hand of love, and you must walk through your fear. For if not, you are stiff-necked. You have to go through your fear. Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen up. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is doing what you know to be right in the midst of your fear. Don't sit around and wait for you to feel unafraid. That's not going to happen. You're going to learn to be unafraid by walking through your fear with God, for he goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. When you do, you're ultimately going to have victory in Jesus Christ. You see what's going to happen is he's going to write a new story in your life. And the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that he has overcome the world. Can I tell you something? If you have a victory in your life, if you want to have victory in your life, you've got to follow Jesus. Which means you don't have to just stand. You don't just have to ask. You don't just have to look but you got to walk. Now look, some of us are here today. We've been standing around for a while. We've been looking for a while. We've been asking for a while, and we know the answer. We're just not walking. This is why in Jeremiah 6.16, at the end of all these verbs, he goes, but you said, we will not walk in it. 
Walking is when the stronghold is broken. And so many of us, we're afraid to walk. So this is what I want you to do this week, and we're getting ready to come to communion, so I ask the ushers to come forward and the team to come back out, but I want, you to, I want you to let God write a new story in you, and I want you to be willing to tell it. And next week, we're going to have a special service, and during this service, you're going to have an opportunity to tell a short piece of your story. And I've had many people come up to me in these last five weeks, just like I do almost every week, and they go, God is changing my life. And I listen to their story, and I go, you might want to tell that sometimes. And your eyes get as big as deer caught in headlights. That's stronghold thinking. That's stronghold thinking. Why? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For I will give you the words to speak when I tell you to speak. Now look, you got well, I don't have any like, major story like Jeff, or I'm not like a heroin addict and overcome heroin. No, no, no. Sometimes the seemingly most insignificant things are the most significant in heaven. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the most seemingly insignificant things in your life, angels rejoice over in heaven because you have walked with God through your fear and broken a stronghold. I trusted God this week, and I got to sleep by 10 o'clock every night. Praise the Lord. I cut up all my credit cards. Praise the Lord. I put down a bad habit. I reconciled a relationship. I asked for forgiveness from a friend. I forgave my spouse, and I treated her kindly at the breakfast table. Can I hear applause for that, please? I spent time with my children. Whatever it is, God is calling you this week to be like Jesus Christ. To stand at the crossroads and look to ask the Father for his will, and to walk. For Jesus Christ walked Golgotha for you. He was the son of God, you know, perfect man. And he was spit on and beat, mocked. When you walk in obedience with God, you are most like Jesus Christ. Who is my family? Who are my mothers and brothers and sisters? He who does the will of my Father. You see, when you're like Jesus, the glory of God is revealed in your life. Listen to Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself Nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. You see, if you're going to walk this week, God's going to write a new story in you. And you know what? When you tell it, God will give you victory. His glory will be made known. So today, we celebrate him who walked for us. Father, we thank you for these communion elements. We lift these time, this time to you now and pray that this symbol of your sacrifice, Lord God, this holy movement, this sacrament, that we would commune with you in such a way that you would help us to stand at the crossroads and look. That you'd help us to ask for the ancient path, to ask where the good way is. But Lord, help us not to stop there and be like the Pharisees. 
Lord, help us to walk from this place and make a beeline, Lord Jesus, to what you want us to do. For we know this, you are with us always. And when we see your back, we will know your glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. When you take the elements, I want to ask that you would take both cups. There's a bottom one and a top one. And the bottom one is a cracker and the top one's a little bit of juice. And then what I ask that you do is hold those and we'll take them together in just a few moments. Let's worship.